You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Now on today's show, what I want to discuss is how many arms do the Mets currently have in their bullpen that you trust. In the first segment, I'll discuss the top two relievers they have and Edwin Diaz and Trevor May. In the second segment, I'll talk about the next three that I also trust in Seth Lugo, Miguel Castro, and Drew Smith. And then finally, we will talk about the remaining relievers left on the 40-man roster and what the Mets have to do to solidify their bullpen before we get to spring training. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter, at FicklesteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at JustBaseball.com. Now, let's start to talk here about the New York Mets bullpen. Because right now, if we were to look at all of the needs they still have heading into the 2022 season, I think bullpen is pretty high up on top of that list because the starting rotation has been addressed. They got this guy by the name of Max Scherzer, who I think is going to be pretty good next year. The lineup has been addressed. Look at the outfield. Two big additions, Mark Canna, Starling Marte, the infield, Eduardo Escobar coming in. I, I think overall, if you were to start opening day right now and look at the team, I don't look at any other need as pressing as I do in that bullpen because it just has not been addressed. And they did lose a significant piece, their best reliever last year, Aaron Loop. And also, they're only lefty. They have a 40-man roster right now, and the only lefty that could conceivably pitch out of the bullpen is Thomas Zabucky. And he has been a starter throughout his career. I think he should have moved into the bullpen because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. But that does not mean I want him on the Mets roster on opening day as the only lefty that they can throw out there. So a lot has to be addressed. But what I want to do today is just go through the options and grade out my trust in these relievers on a scale of, you know, A, B, C, D, right? You know, which of these relievers do I go into next year and I have complete faith in? And really, it's a strange situation because the reliever that you would point to first is the closer, Edwin Diaz. But I can't grade it an A-plus in trust because he hasn't earned that in a Mets uniform. He has had so many issues over the years. You could talk about the mental side of things. You could talk about 2019 and the baseball being different, couldn't get a good grip on it, gave up all those home runs. There's a lot of excuses that can be made, but we just know that in some of the biggest moments where the lights are the brightest, in those clutch times when you need your lockdown reliever to get the job done, he hasn't been there for the Mets. Yet, you look at his numbers, a 3-4-5 ERA is good. You look at his expected ERA of 2.64, his expected fielding independent pitching of 3.47. I mean, he was a pitcher that, if nothing else, got the results he should have with that 3.45 ERA, or it could have been even better with the type of stuff that he has. 
You look at his strikeout per nine of two or 12.78. That is a far cry from where he was in 2018 with the Mariners when he was the best reliever in baseball and he was striking out 15.22 batters per nine. That's Josh Hader numbers. That's a reliever that comes out of the pen and strikes out two guys per inning. That's what the Mets thought Diaz would be for them. And he hasn't quite been that, but you still look at where he is based on the MLB percentile rankings, how he factors in against other pitchers in baseball, his fastball velocity in the 100th percentile. No one really throws harder than Edwin Diaz. You look at his hard hit percentage in the 99th percentile. People were not squaring him up and hitting the ball hard against him. You look at the expected batting average, expected ERA, expected Wobo, expected slugging, all of that in the 95th percentile or higher. Barrel percentage against 88th percentile. His strikeout percentage in the 96th percentile. Whiff percentage in the 96th percentile. Chase rate in the 82nd percentile. The only thing when it comes to the MLB percentile rankings where he doesn't you know, shine, where he's not elite, is in walk percentage. And it's not too bad in the 41st percentile. But overall, he's a dominant reliever. The question is, is he going to put it all together? And can you go into another season with him as your closer? Or do you have to find somebody else? I think the Mets are fine right now with Diaz as the closer. But it's always in the back of your mind that maybe they might have to make a trade or make another signing to address that back end of the pen. The other reliever they have that I have almost complete confidence in is Trevor May. And in a weird sense, I have more confidence in May in that I don't think the floor is going to drop out from under him, whereas I saw that happen with Edwin Diaz in 2019. So I still have that doubt that exists. But you look at Trevor May's season. I mean, he had a 3.59 ERA. His expected ERA of 2.92 tells you could have been a little bit better. But the expected fielding independent pitching, the XFIP of 3.81, you know, he basically pitched up to his standards, what you would have expected out of Trevor May. Uh, his strikeout per nine of 11.92 is in line with the numbers he put up in 2019. The one thing that was interesting to me is when I looked at Trevor May in his season, he had some stretches where he would struggle, but overall he was very consistent when he got into a rhythm, he did his job. He went out he, he put up a zero and you could really count on him. If you look at, at the breakdown of his season in his first appearance, he gives up a couple of runs. Then he has 12 straight appearances without giving up an earned run. Then he had a period from May 11th through June 14th where he struggled, gave up nine runs and 11 appearances, just over nine innings pitched in that. But bounced back, had 10 scoreless appearances in a row, then had another 10 appearances where he allowed just four runs over that span, had a couple of bad outings in a row on August 12th and August 16th where he gave up six earned runs. And then once again, you know, right the ship and, and continued to be a solid pitcher for the Mets. You look at what he did overall. He had 16 outings where he gave up runs, 52 outings where he went out and put up a zero. So overall, 76% of the time, Trevor May, when he took the ball, he did his job to not give up any runs. I go into next season. I look at all the different percentile rankings for him, and he also was a dominant reliever. So I believe that's going to hold up. Going into next year, you look at the expected batting average, expected ERA, the expected WOBA, all of those over the 90th percentile, expected slugging, the 78th percentile, 
his strikeout percentage, the 90th percentile, hard hit percentage, 84th percentile, whiff percentage against, 87th percentile, uh, fastball velocity in the 90th percentile. So Trevor May still at the top of his game, uh, perfectly suitable eighth inning reliever. But I do think if you look at this pitching staff right now, they're missing a third guy. In a minute, we're going to talk about Miguel Castro, Seth Lugo, and Drew Smith, all of which I have some confidence in. But they need that one more elite reliever that can come in and shut down a lineup. Uh, it'd be great if you got it from the left side after they just lost Aaron Loop. But we'll see what's out there. We'll see if the Mets can make a signing or make a trade. But uh, as we look at that bullpen, and, and particularly the back end of that bullpen, I do think they're an arm short. But they also could get some better performances next year out of that trio, Smith, Lugo, and Castro. I'm going to discuss them a little bit more in just a minute. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, making it so much easier to stick to your resolutions because you're going to want to eat them. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy, Built Bars are soft and easy to chew. They come covered in 100% chocolate, so they are delicious. If you're not a fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And there's so many different flavors to choose from, whether it's the coconut almond bar, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and many more. In fact, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out Built.com often to see what's new. And once you're there at Built.com, make sure you use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. So Trevor May and Edwin Diaz, if I had to grade out my trust in them, I'd say that they're A relievers going into next year. They're not quite A-plus relievers, but I have a lot of faith in them being able to get the job done. Miguel Castro and Seth Lugo are a a tier below to me, B relievers or B-plus relievers. They have some upside. They can be great. We saw Seth Lugo have an A-plus season in 2019, but we don't know if he's going to bounce back to that. Miguel Castro reminds me of Hansel Robles from years ago. Just that electric arm that you always look at and think, why can't this guy be dominant where he goes out and he just strikes out two batters every inning and you know doesn't walk too many? But that's really the problem with Miguel Castro, particularly this past season. Uh, the walk rate was the worst of his career at uh, 5.5 walks per nine, a percentage of 14.2% for his walk rate. That's not going to cut it. And that really does explain some of the numbers that weren't quite to where you would have liked them to be. Overall, he still pitched to a three, four, five ERA, but there was too many instances, I feel like, where he would just go out there and, and be unable to get outs and really you know, put other levers in bad positions where they had to clean up his mess at times. Uh, You still look at what he did overall, and he led the Mets in innings pitch when it comes to their relievers at 70 and a third. So he was a workhorse for that bullpen. The expected ERA of 4.21 and the expected fielding independent pitching of 4.48 shows a little bit of regression there. And those numbers are likely pulled down 
uh, due to all the walks that he was giving up. That's, you know, a sign of some failure to come. If you're talking about these expected metrics, they factor in all those walks and you're kind of dancing with fire. So if he were to pitch like that again next year, they would project that his ERA would be worse because more of those runners would come around to score. I still look at the strikeout per nine of 9.85. There's a dominant reliever in there. You know, he's a big dude. You know, that tall guy with the fastball can really jump on people. He has some some good pitches with the slider, but he's also a sticky substance guy. He's somewhere I felt like earlier in the season, he was really dominant, and then the sticky substance ban happened, and we saw regression. So how much do we take from that? If Major League Baseball is going to have a more uniform, sticky substance that's available to pitchers next year, maybe that helps a guy like Castro. It'll be interesting, but I do think that you can trust Castro um, if you were to slate it based on innings. If you were to say he's your sixth inning guy, so to speak, you know, you have a starter go five, you would go Castro to maybe Lugo to May to Diaz. It's decent, but I still believe that because of my uncertainty with Castro and also with Lugo, that is where you might want one more really elite reliever. But maybe Lugo can be that guy because he was in 2019. He got hurt in spring training, didn't have that normal start to his season. I think that was a problem for Seth Lugo. He never quite looked comfortable, and yet he still pitched to a 3 5 ERA, which is not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, his expected ERA of 4.21, a little bit worse. His ex-FIP a 3.61, a little bit worse, but still uh, someone that can go out there, has that great curveball, can get some strikeouts. They were just not in the same position as in 2019 where he was one of the better strikeout relievers in baseball. He still had a pretty good strikeout rate of 28.2%, but in 2019, it was 33.1%. And then you also factor in more walks from Seth Lugo this year, a walk rate of 9.7%, which is by far the highest of his career, a big difference from the 5.1 mark he put up in 2019. And you see how he gave us some more runs and had some more problems. The one thing that's interesting looking at Seth Lugo, this is a pitcher that you know has a, a really good curveball. His fastball can be surprising. This past year, his sinker, which he threw about 25% of the time, was not good. It was getting squared up a lot. He had gave up a batting average against the pitch of 286 with a 457 slugging percentage. You compare that to 2019, where guys hit at a 167 clip against that sinker and had a slugging percentage of 258. That is a big difference. And also, what we saw this past year is that Lugo really struggled to get lefties out. He's always been better against righties, but never to this extreme. If you look at his strikeout to walk ratio. He had a strikeout to walk ratio against lefties of 1.40. So was barely striking out more batters than he was walking. You look at his strikeout to walk ratio against right-handed batters. It's 8.50, a lot less walks, a lot more strikeouts. His changeup, which is usually a weapon that he'll only throw to lefties. You know, it can get batters out at times, but this past year, I mean, that changeup got knocked around the slugging percentage well over a 1,000. So I think if you go into next year, he needs to find maybe a different weapon to attack lefties with. And also, I would consider going to the fastball a little bit more than the sinker because the fastball this past season had a whiff percentage of 41.3. 
It was a put-away pitch 30.3% of the time. His best strikeout weapon this past year was that fastball, and I do wonder if he can throw that pitch a little bit more through the sinker or less, maybe get some better results. But I still go into this season trusting that Seth Lugo will be a decent option for the Mets. He's going to be a free agent after the year, and so this is a big season for him to go out and have a good campaign and hopefully get paid next offseason. I do wonder where he is right now about the starter-reliever thing. I don't think he'll ever start again for the Mets other than in a spot start capacity, but I am curious when he becomes a free agent what type of a role he'll be searching for. Now, with that said, there's one more arm that I do trust coming out of the Mets pen, and that is Drew Smith. If we were to grade it out, I'd give Lugo and Castro B pluses, and I would grade my trust in Smith as a B. I, I think that there is a lot there to like. Finally, the Mets had developed a young pitcher that could help them and be in their bullpen for a couple of years to come here. He quietly pitched to a 2-4-0 ERA this past season, although if you look at the expected metrics, they point to that being a little bit unsustainable. His expected ERA was 3.92. His XFIP was 4.54. Uh, you look at why he had the success that he did. Uh, you know, he actually did have a left on base percentage of 91.2, which is, again, maybe unsustainable to think he would go out and strand over 90% of the runners that were on base. But that's also a good sign that he was able to pitch himself in and out of jams to come into situations where there was a mess to clean up. And he was able to do that. So that, that's a really nice thing for a young reliever. A uh, strikeout rate of 24.8%. It is solid enough. The walk rate of 9.7 is a little bit too high, but maybe he can throw some more strikes next year. Uh, he's mostly fastball cutter, throwing those pitches 88% of the time, but he has a curveball that's actually pretty solid, a whiff uh, percentage against a 41.2. That curveball has 4.8 more inches of horizontal movement than the average curveball, so it is a very potent weapon. Um, and I'm curious if he can maybe incorporate that into his arsenal a little bit more, maybe get some more strikeouts, maybe get some guys, you know, expecting the, the cutter and they get a curveball and they roll over it, things like that. So I, I think maybe he can utilize his arsenal a bit better, but I still think that Drew Smith is a solid reliever that has a lot of upside. I would not be stunned if he went out next year, had a great season and became one of those late inning guys for the Mets, but he still has to sort of earn his stripes a bit. With that said, there's still some other names I want to talk about. Trevor Williams, you have you know, Jordan Yamamoto, who's going to factor into that long man role. You have Yenzi Diaz and Sean Reed Foley coming off their first season with the Mets where they had their moment. So is there anybody else on this 40-man roster that we trust going into 2022? I'll discuss that in just a minute. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march through the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. New year, new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit just by using the promo code Locked On. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager in all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts.
All right, so we've gone through the Mets bullpen and identified the five arms that you can trust at this stage right now. Let's look at some of the other relievers that will factor into the plans next year who can maybe break camp with this team when you're looking at the 40-man roster and some of the arms that will be competing. You have Yancy Diaz and Sean Reed Foley. Uh, I would imagine they'll play similar roles this year as they did last year. The 4A type pitchers that are going up and down from AAA to the big leagues all the time whenever you need a fresh arm, I would expect they're going to serve those roles. Uh, they did not pitch great when you look at the final numbers, but both of them had their moments. For Diaz, he had a 5-4 OERA. For Sean Reed Foley, a 5-2-3 ERA. Uh, Sean Reed Foley, another pitcher where I felt like once the sticky substance ban uh, came into play, some of his superpowers were gone. It didn't seem like we were seeing as much movement on those pitches and you know the results started to fall by the wayside as well. So I wonder how effective he can be moving forward. I don't have a ton of confidence in those two, but in the roles that we're talking about guys coming up and, and giving you two innings when you just had an extra inning game and you were on a West coast trip and you came back and everyone's exhausted. It, it, these are good enough death pieces that uh, it made sense to keep them on the 40 going into this year. Now they also picked up Antonio Santos which was a weird one to me. Um, you know, Santos throws 96, has a decent curveball, but has not pitched well up to this stage of his career. So a little bit surprising they jumped on him, but maybe he has some, some untapped potential the Mets can unlock this offseason. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, Zipucky, I just feel like this is the time to convert him to be a reliever because I don't think the starting thing is ever going to work for him considering his inability to stay on the mound. But uh, even if they do go with that experiment, it's going to be some time before he even feels comfortable pitching out of the bullpen. So I don't expect to see him too much. I also think that he could be a non-tender candidate. I know he is probably still in the list of the Mets' top 20 prospects, but um, I just don't know how much more you can really count on him or, or believe that he's going to be a big part of this team moving forward. And if you make some other signs and need to clear up some room, I would clear Thomas Zabucki over a Yenzi Diaz, not because I think Zabucki um, is worse necessarily or doesn't have a brighter future, but for the function of the 2022 Mets, you need the arms you can count on that are going to go out there and be able to take the ball. I think Yenzi Diaz and Sean Reed fully really fit that mark. Um, you look at the other option, Jake Reed. Uh, he has a really good slider, but not much else. He pitches off the slider more than anything, but um, still an unknown three options. He did pitch with the Mets at the end of last season. They like him enough to keep him around. Um, we'll see what he gives them. Maybe he can surprise. Then we could talk about a guy that I'm really interested in, which is Trevor Williams. I was very impressed last season with what he did pitching in that swingman role. He had a 306 ERA. Uh, there was the game against the Reds that went 14 innings or something that I was at. And the Mets kept on scoring runs and extras and then giving up runs. I think Jake Reed was one of the pitchers that pitched in that game as well. I do believe he gave up some runs. And you're at a point where you just couldn't get anyone out on either side. Just, just neither team had enough pitching. And Trevor Williams was the guy who came out and was able to throw strikes and get outs. I think he is really suited for that swingman role. I think it's his to lose. There's going to be other guys competing for it, whether that's Jordan Yamamoto or or Tyler McGill, there's no spot in the rotation for him. Uh, McGill would fit the bill pretty well, too. I think his stuff would play up coming out of the pen. But Trevor Williams is a really nice option where 
you know, he's not a, a long-term part of your future, but he can be a big part in the 2022 bats. Someone that can give you 110, maybe 120 innings, you know, pitching out of the bullpen, getting a spot start here and there when he pitches in a game where the Mets are either winning big or losing big. Maybe he can give you three or four innings at the end of a game to close things out and really help the rest of the bullpen get rest. I like Williams a lot for that role. And with that said, I don't know if I would grade my trust in him anything more than a C plus or a B minus or something along those lines, but I do think he can have a big enough role where it's worth it to keep him on this team moving forward. And then with that, you're looking at a bullpen that has Diaz, May, Lugo, and Castro as that main quartet. Uh, Drew Smith right on the edges of that as a fifth option. Trevor Williams, in my opinion, being the long man. So that's six arms out of a bullpen that will have eight most likely. Who else fills it out? Obviously, with the way the game goes with the amount of injuries, you're going to have 20 pitchers who are going to end up throwing for the Mets at some point this season out of the pen. But going into opening day, you want to have a solid foundation. And I do think the Mets are two arms short here. I think that with that group of six, they have a lot of things covered. They have some late inning relievers. They have some length guys out there that can get multiple innings. All that is great, but they don't have a lefty. And I think that it's always great to have at least one lefty in your pen. And if you can get an Andrew Chafin or somebody along those lines, maybe even trade for Josh Hader, which is a move that would be uh, a very ambitious, but could prove to be a, a very rewarding one. If Josh Hader were to be the new closer of the Mets or to share those duties with Edwin Diaz, that would be dynamic. Uh, what you'd have to give up to get him, I'm not sure. But the bottom line, they need a good lefty and they need a lockout or luck. I guess a Freud and a slip uh, because none of this happens until the lockout ends. They need a lockdown reliever as well. I, and I think that you have Jerry's Familia who still wants to be back with the Mets, but he does not fit those roles in my opinion. Uh, so unless you were to have another trade out there where let's just say Miguel Castro or Seth Lugo had some value and they, and you threw them into a package and you cleared up a, another spot in your bullpen, then I could see pursuing Familia for a reunion, have him come in and at least eat some innings for you. But short of that, I don't necessarily see why a reunion would make a ton of sense. I don't think that he changed the bullpen enough where there's other guys that can really be locked down late inning relievers for you. So we'll see what happens with Familia. Keith Hembry, another Mets free agent that could return. He looked really good down the stretch. I'd prefer Hembry over Familia, but I'd also prefer Ryan Tapera over both of them. So that is where things stand right now. I think, as I've you know, said multiple times, they need to add two arms to that pen, and then they're likely going to add many more arms on minor league deals to compete throughout camp and to fill out that bullpen and that rotation down in Syracuse. So we'll see how this develops. But on tomorrow's show, I will give you the three agent relievers I am most intrigued with, and we'll see if the Mets end up signing any of them once we get to the other side of this lockout. But anyway, that's going to be all for today's edition of Locked On Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show, at Locked On Mets. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Now for your second listen, check out Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Locked On Bets is where you should go 
for all your daily gambling needs. You can follow Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts.